Acts chapter 19, verse 21. Now, after these events, Paul resolved to the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And he got sent in Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus. He himself stayed in Asia a little while longer. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of men, sorry, silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. Then he gathered together with the workmen of similar trade, saying, Men, that you know from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear, not only in Ephesus, but in also all of Asia, that Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that these gods are not made with hands, but are not gods. And there, is no, and there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but that also our temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, that she may be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all of Asia and all the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged, crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theatre, dragging with them Gaius and Arazakis, Macedonians who were Paul's companion in travel. But when Paul wished to go amongst the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some in Arazakis, who were friends of his, sent to him, were urging him not to enter into the theatre. Now some cried at one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. So the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Amos of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know the great city of the Ephesians is a temple keeper, of the great Artemis and the sacred stone that fell from the sky. Seeing that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious or blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmanship with him have complained against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it should be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to the justification of this motion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Again, good morning, everyone. How's everybody today? Oh, I forgot. It's been a year since you've seen me in person. So you, when I actually say stuff, I expect you to respond back. It's not rhetorical, you know. So how's everybody doing today? Good. And if you're not doing good, you could actually say that. I, I want to know for real. But uh, we're glad to be here today uh, to celebrate God's goodness and preach his word. I'm going to try my best not to do random shout outs through, through, throughout the message because I keep seeing people like, oh, I haven't seen you forever. I see a guy I went to school with. What's up, Chris? Good to see you, brother. Uh, but if I do, don't get distracted. 
<laughs> I know that's a lot to ask. Uh, but no, uh, it's a joy to be here and uh, thankful. When I got the text, I'll be honest, I was like, come on, Sully, come on. See, I, could, used, to, I used to blame Joel, because Joel was usually the guy who divided the text. And, uh, but now I blame Sully, because I know Sully probably did this. And I was like, man, what am I supposed to do with this? Where's the application here? Come on, it's an argument and a riot. How do I find the gospel? So we're going to journey together <laughs> to see how the Lord is going to minister to us and teach us through it. Uh, big shout out from the, uh, to the secularists, Derek and Ray. I wore this. This was a gift they brought me back from Uganda. Uh, so we're representing uh, up here this morning, and uh, again, glad to be here. Uh, shout out to John. I know he's away, but he texted me to let me know, uh, but I miss my brother. But I'm still on a group text thread, so we, we chatted up every blue moon. So excited again to touch God's word. Might you join me? Uh, this is a little out of the box, but this is a song that's been on my heart this morning. Here's one of those shout outs. Shout out to Tony Dentman. He's really been helping me as I pursue my fundraising and support goals. Appreciate you, brother, and all the work you do. Uh, I want you guys to open your voices with me. Can you bear with me and do that? We're just, this song has just been on my heart this morning. I know you're like, what, Shanti don't sing? That's why I need you to sing with me. You guys know it. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. We'll sing Open Up again. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Come with me. To see you high and lifted up. To see you high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power in love as we sing holy, holy, holy. Yes, Lord. Father, we thank you for today and your goodness. Pray, Lord God, that you will bless this word, allow it to be encouraging and strengthening to the body. May it be convicting as well to the preacher as well as those who hear the word. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord. There's things that you're trying to do in and through us. And this morning we submit that to you, saying that we are your pieces of clay. Do work this morning as we hear your word and recognize the power of your gospel and what it has done and continues to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This past Friday, I had the pleasure of scheduling a date night, couples date night, invited some friends over. And we had this, uh, I got in trouble for this. I came up with this one thing where I found a meme. You know, when you play with memes, it could go either way. Uh, but they had a meme for men and a meme for women. And it said, you've got $5 to create your ideal spouse. And so it had a list of things at different prices. And it really forced you because you had things that you're like, oh, I want loyalty, but that's $3. But it's like, I also want, I want uh, faithfulness. And it's like, well, that's $3, so you can't get that. So you had to really work through it. And so uh, when, I, when I did mine, I'm not going to share everybody else's, I'm going to share mine. I picked loyalty because I was like, hey, you want somebody who's loyal, committed, faithful to the game, that's $3. But then I found this other one. It was $2, and it was called Drama Free. And it was like, yo, I really want Drama Free. 
And the reason I bring that up is because I think most of us in our lives have that idea. Ideally, in all situations, and we're not talking about your marriage, but just in life in general, your ideal situation is that it be drama-free, right? We don't want issues. We don't want problems. We want it to be drama-free. We don't want to have the difficulties of dealing with somebody who's maybe over-emotional or always causing issues, making something out of nothing, always making things difficult. You don't want it. But the truth is, the Christian life, the gospel, is a disruptor. The gospel of Jesus Christ brings drama. It brings difficulties. It brings issues. It brings hardships. And that is the gospel. That, that is something we cannot deny. Now, as we look at today's text, we're jumping into the middle of a story. Give you a little background. In the opening of the chapter, you have this discussion between Paul and some new believers, and, and he asked them, hey, how are you baptized? And they say, we were baptized by the baptism of John the Baptist. And he's like, hey, we've got a discrepancy here. The baptism you need is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're like, what? What's the Holy Spirit? Paul ministers them and then baptizes them. Tongues come forth. Prophecy comes forth. And then there, there becomes this little rumble in the area of, of negative things regarding the Christian, the people who follow the way, because they're being disruptive. The, the gospel is impacting things. People are being healed, though. People are being healed. Lives are being transformed. Demons are being cast out. But then these Jewish exorcists feel like, hey, we're about to jump on this gospel train with Paul. And so we're going to start casting out demons in the, in the name of the Jesus. And so they attempt that, and they get, they, get, they get Mike Tyson by a demon-possessed man. So much to the point they ran out naked. You know, that's a butt whooping. I'm serious, yo. And, you know, they had a lot more garbs then. That's a whole lot of work to get your, yeah, okay. And that's what happens. But in that second, you learn that, one, Jesus is not something to play with. You can know his name, but if you don't have faith in him, you don't have the power. And from this, it continues on, and it says this in chapter, I mean, verses 17. I'd like to read these to you. 17 through 20. It says this. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus. This is after the guys get beat up. Both Jews and Greek, and fear fell upon them. Upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued and increased and prevailed mightily. So the gospel is moving forward. Things are happening. Lives are being transformed. And what we see in this section as we go forth in this final section of chapter 19 is we see what I would call the plan, the drama, and then the resolution. We see the plan and what is happening in Paul's life. We see the drama of this interaction between Demetrius and those who have created this uproar. We see the resolution and what we find being brought forth by a simple clerk that we don't even know. But he's mentioned this one time. And in this, we see a beautiful thing. So verses 21 through 23 is where we see the plan. And I think it's very important to notice something that, that takes place here. Paul is a man on a mission. He's focused on doing the will of God. 
But one thing we see in this opening text is this idea that Paul does not make a move without consulting the Lord. Paul is on mission, but he seeks the Lord for direction. And that is what it says here. It tells us that Paul is made resolved with the spirit. He's had conversation with the Lord and the Holy Spirit has made clear this is where you're to go. And he's like, I'm moving that way. It lets us know that he'll be traveling to Macedonia, Achaia, and Jerusalem. But what we also see here is that Paul's pursued God, but he also discipled and multiplied. How do we know this? Because he's preaching the gospel, doing the gospel work. And although he has not gone to where he wants to go yet, because he decides to stay where he's at in Asia, he says that he sends Timothy and Erastus. Now, Paul would not send anybody who didn't know the word, who had not been disciple, who had not been trained in the gospel, who did not know how to go forth and make disciples and treat, preach true doctrine. But that is exactly what he does. He trains up these young men and then he's able to say, go before me as I stay here so that the work can continue. I'm not sure if you're a leader here, but when I read this at this moment, it reminded me of the importance of passing it forward and training up others to do the work. If whatever you're doing at your job or, or, or in your home, if it all relies on you and nothing can go forward unless you're the one to do it, it's problematic. Even for those of us in the church who call ourselves pastors, we have to be careful, even if you're a senior pastor, to make sure you're training up and then empowering others so they can go forth and do the gospel work. Jesus modeled this even in the Gospels as he cared for his disciples. He did the work, but then he sent them out in pairs to do the work. After we get this idea of saying, okay, here's the plan. We know where Paul is headed. We get introduced to this story that is full of drama. There's a disturbance that has been taking place, and, and, and the people are in an uproar about it. I like how the text says it. It says, there's no little disturbance concerning the way. Now, you say the way, it's, it's a reference to the people of God, early Christians. Before the phrase Christians, this would have been the idea of the Christ followers, the people of the way. Jesus said he is the way. And in this moment, I like the phrasing because it, it, it says not little disturbance. It's this idea of saying we're not just going to say it's big. We want you to know it's, this, ain't, this ain't nothing little. This isn't nothing to play with. This is actually problematic for what we have going on now. And you will say, well, what is the problem? The problem is brought forth by our wonderful silversmith, Demetrius. He says this. He says, listen, man, you know that this business we have are wealth. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that the gods made with hands are not gods. And then what happened? They're he said, and they are in danger, not only of this trade, but are may come into dispute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed from all of her magnificence, she whom all of Asia and the world would worship. And so he's saying, listen, it's messing with our pockets. But it's not just enough for him to say it's messing with our money. He has to cloak his intentions with something that will get everybody riled up. So what does he say? He says, they're also coming against the God we worship. Now, what's significant about this is that he's not concerned about the God he's worshiping because he's making various idols for the various gods within Ephesus. 
Pagan worship was not uncommon, but in this moment, he's like, man, this is killing me. This is how I make it. This is how I survive. People pilgrimage to come worship here. This is constantly filled with hundreds of thousands of people. This is how my money maker. He's focused on himself and his greed because he's not trying to let that depart. And he has a reasonable understanding. I mean, I can't be fully mad. He recognizes this is having impact. We see that because he's obviously heard what has taken place earlier. What did it say at the beginning uh, or towards the end in verses 19 through 20? It talks about how they came, they brought their magic stuff they had been using and practices, and they burned them all. They burned everything, and they said this specific phrase. And I think Luke, who's a very detailed person, is intentional on when he gives this number. It says 50 shekels, which in our modern day would be somewhere around five to six million dollars. So he's like, this is coming my way. So he's like, I've got to rile up the posse. Now, I'm not worried about your business ventures, but if I make you feel like I'm worried about your business ventures, then you can join on with me so I can help myself. So he intertwines his own thing with this idea of this issue of idolatry and them coming against their goddess. And how do the people respond? After he's evoked their emotions, he's gotten them hyped and ready to go. They're ready to riot. Now, we've seen this in modern day. We've seen how media, government, and various other people who have their own agendas and they use certain language and they tie in their understanding and then pervert it with something else to rile people up, rile people up into confusion, into chaos. But this goddess, this Greek goddess of fertility was a big deal. This was a huge temple. It was considered in the ancient world one of the seventh wonders it had been built, it had been torn down. And in light of this, Demetrius has been able to get everybody galvanized together to go forth and riot. Now, there was a song I thought of. You guys have no reference to it. Uh, there's a song that actually says, let's start a riot. There's a hip hop song. And it's very crazy. It's, it's like this thing. It, it, it's, a, it's this idea. Let's, let's turn it up. Let's, let's destruct, destroy it. Let's, let's get things going. And this is where we see the confusion taking place. Confusion is going forth saying that, listen, everybody's in an uproar, but nobody's really clear exactly as to why they're there. Ain't that crazy? This idea that you could be so engaged and raising your voice, screaming and telling everybody what needs to happen, and you have no idea why you're there. But that is what can happen when you tap into people's emotions, which is what Demetrius has done. And what we see here is that in light of this, this, this commotion that's going on, Paul is actually instructed to do something that I think Paul wouldn't typically do. Now, Paul, and what I, this is how we say it in the hood, he was about that life, which means he was, he was committed to, to doing what needed to be done to preserve and preach the gospel. So he finds out what has happened because they scooped up some of his homies and riled them up and brought them into this town hall area to say these are part of the people who are causing a problem. And Paul's like, I got to go handle this. I'm going to go and speak. I'm going to go proclaim the truth. I'm going to go and defend my brethren. But his brethren, 
who had not been captured said to him, no, Paul, you can't go for it. They actually instruct Paul to protect himself and say, hey, you stay back. You stay back. Don't go and get involved. And what I find interesting in that moment is that this idea that Paul actually submitted to someone who technically was not his authority. But he had enough wisdom in his heart, enough wisdom in his mind to say, okay, I'm going to adhere and listen to the voice of those who are encouraging me and telling me don't go forth. As Christians, we have this idea that we must always attack the hill. We've got to storm the hill. But there are times where wisdom says, you know what? You stay back for a second. And it's not that you stay back just out of fear. It's not that you stay back out of just self-preservation. It's a combination of staying back out of wisdom, but also a combination of being able to then see God work on your behalf. And so in this response, he stays back. He stays back and does nothing. Now, what is the resolution we find in the text? We've seen Paul's mission. We've seen the drama that has been created. But what is the resolve? How do we come to an end of this, this message of what's taking place? And we see in the text that he gets help from an unlikely source. A town clerk. A town clerk who has no commitment to the gospel. A town clerk for what we know is not a believer. A town clerk who actually has no personal investment in the gospel. He just only has his investment in, in, in keeping order before we get in trouble with Rome. We got to keep things in order. And there's a, there's a code of conduct. There's a way to do things. But as he engages this, he sees everybody screaming at the top of their lungs. It says they worship for two hours. Again, not knowing what they're there for, but worship for two hours screaming at the top of their lung and praise, but he comes to them with some simple words. He challenges them, basically saying, well, what are we doing this for? What do we have against those who we've actually brought before us? He's saying, if, if, if this is the goddess we worship who came down from the skies, from heaven, she's powerful, nothing can stop her our goddess, and when we look at it, these men have actually done nothing. It says specifically, he says, they have not been sacrilegious, meaning they hadn't robbed the temple, so they hadn't been stealing money from Demetrius or the worshiping temple. They hadn't been blasphemous, which means they have not been using abusive speech towards this particular goddess. See, Paul was not on a campaign to close down the temple of Diana. But what he was on a camp point was to do the Lord's work. And as the people of Jesus came to know him, they naturally stopped worshiping and doing those things. But this clerk is saying, we have no proof that says he's actually been blaspheming our goddess. And he says, listen, if we're going to do this, we need to do it the right way. He says, go through the court system. He said, if we're actually going to bring something up, Demetrius. If you really have a valid point, what you're going to do, go through the court, go through the proper system, do it the correct way so as to avoid us being accused of rioting and then us being a major problem and having major penalties coming forth on us. Now, mind you, this is amazing in this moment because there are thousands of people here. I mean, this is a huge place and they're screaming at the top of their lungs. And this man is now calming the crowd. Paul wasn't here to preach the gospel to call the crowd. 
None of the other apostles were there to preach the gospel, to calm the crowd. But God, in his wisdom, in his glory, takes this common man, a clerk, to calm things and help them recognize that what they were doing made no sense. The reason why I think we can make that assertion is because they just leave afterwards. I mean, seriously, think about it. If it's something that you're really passionate about and it makes sense to you, if somebody just says, hey, you need to calm down and leave, it's not really happening. You don't just say, oh, he's right, let's go. They had been confounded. They saw, they, they, they began to see the idiocy of what they were doing. It didn't make any sense what was taking place. And again, we see this amazing act of God working on behalf of not even using a believer to actually stop those who are coming against the followers of Jesus Christ who are doing the work of his glory. So I said to you at the beginning of the message, like, well, what do we take from this story? <laughs> yes, there, 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 there are tidbits and points that we grab in the midst of the text, but as, as a believer and I go out to work tomorrow on Monday, as I leave today and maybe go to the beach or have dinner with my family, what can I say I actually walked away with a better understanding of what I should be doing and how this, what this means to me? And when you have texts like this, I believe, in fact, when you have all texts, my two questions are this. is like, God, what are we learning about you? And then secondly, Lord, what are you showing us about ourselves? What do we learn about God? I think we must first and foremost understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is disruptive. The gospel not only shakes up your life, but shakes up the lives of those around you. Don't be shocked when drama comes your way. Don't, don't let it catch you off guard when the issues of life come from the outside. Be prepared, expect it. But in the same way you expect the drama, expect his hand to move. Expect his provision. Expect him to even in those times bring other people to fight on your behalf. This is the beauty of the gospel. And not only that, but it also tells us this. Since the gospel is so disruptive, we must make it a priority to preach and evangelize the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. Not because we want them to just have a disorderly life, but we actually want their lives to be rocked so that they come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We as a church have said we want to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform the city of, God, of Chicago. We want to see things go down. We want to see violence go down. We want to see all this disruption take place. We want to see things come in. We have to preach the gospel and stand firm in it. We have to preach the gospel in the workplace. We have to preach the gospel in our schools. We have to preach the gospel in our daily life. It cannot just be when we hear on Sunday morning. And be okay with the disruption it causes, because I will take you back to what was said in verse 20 of this chapter of this idea. It said what? It said, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Are you okay with the gospel prevailing at your expense? What do we learn about God? What do we learn about ourselves? I believe when we read the scriptures, it's important that we get context. Context is everything. Once you have this context, I think it's also important to then look at yourself. Look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, what, what are you showing me about myself, Lord? 
What do we learn from some of our main characters like Paul? What do we learn from Demetrius? Well, I think what we can learn from Paul is this idea about ourselves is that we need to actually submit ourselves to the spirit and his leading. We must not allow ourselves to fall victim to our own visions, our own ideas of where we're going in our trajectory, but say, listen, Lord, we have submitted this to you, Lord, and you lead us to where we're supposed to go and what we're to do. But then as we look at Demetrius, I, I felt like the need to, we have to just ask ourselves this question. What are the idols in our lives? See, we can look at this text and say, well, Demetrius' idol is the actual idol he was creating. No, that, that was not his idol. He made graven images, but that, that, that was not his idol. His idol was his money. What idols are you holding on to that when, when, when the preacher is preaching the word, you get mad at him for saying it and get offended? Is it our career, our status, our position? Is that our idol? Is it our theology, the idea that we prioritize our theological rhetoric over people? Well, Scripture says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and what? Love your neighbor as yourself. The two greatest commands. Is your idol your sexuality? My sexuality is actually more important than my identity in Christ. I'm prioritizing what I feel over what the word of God says. And that's in all spheres of sexuality. I know we like to piggyback on one thing over another. When we struggle with pornography as an issue of sexuality, that too is an idol because you're saying I prioritize my desire over that. It includes every sphere of it. Is it your money? And I'm not just talking about tithing on Sunday. Is it your finances? Are you letting God dictate what you do with them? Or are you like, no, this is mine, Lord. I give you yours, but what I do with my money is what I do with my money. I don't engage you on what I should actually do with the provision you have provided. Is it our time? This idea that my time is my time is about me. I've got to get quiet time by myself. But it's not about doing the work of the Lord. No, I can't be a part of that community group because you know what? It's just too difficult for my schedule. I can't volunteer and serve in this way at the church because uh, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm, it's a heavy season at work. I just can't do it. But yet we got time to go to the Cubs game. Yet we have time to go sit in Starbucks or Netflix or TikTok for two hours when you just start it with one swipe and just keep going. Lastly, I would say, is it, is it our rights? Are our rights our idols? I have the right to be angry. So I'm not convicted. I don't want to forgive. I have the right to have this attitude. I have a right to be this way. All these things that come into play. Are these your idols? Are these the things that you are saying here? This is what I actually worship. While I still try and worship Jesus. And as we think about this and as we we, we wrestle with this. Let our hearts be humble enough to hear what God has to say back. A lot of times we, we struggle with the shame of actually confessing the sin. And the issue is this, God already knows it. Yes. So whatever he has to say to it, he's gonna, he knows it already. Like you have nothing to be fearful of before him. What stands in our way, which we don't want to admit, the roadblock is us. Because we don't want to let it go. So HTC family who are listening, 
locally and abroad, my encouragement to you is to continue to walk faithfully with Jesus Christ and preach the gospel at any cost. But preach it with love in your heart. While at the same time, those who may not know Jesus who hear this, I want to encourage you, the idols that you are serving, they will never give you the peace that you need. The chaos and confusion you are experiencing in your life is exactly what the devil gives. A false sense of truth and reality that does not bring you any hope. And for those of us who walk with Jesus, who still struggle with idols, lay out, prostrate before the Lord. Confess your sin and ask the Lord, help me remove this. I want it, Lord, but I'm giving it to you at this altar. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for today and your goodness and your word. You are a good, good God. Ask, Lord God, that as we rest in you and grow in you, Lord God, that you may continue to help us see the areas that you are still working out in us. Help us recognize our continued need for you. And for those who have maybe never expressed a need for you, I pray, Lord God, that you will comfort them and help them see your love for them. They may have the money. They may have the stability. They may have the security. They may even sense, have a feeling of a sense of peace. But Lord God, help them to see they don't have the peace in their soul. The things they try and do and get are all things trying to fill up that little hole that you can't quite get into. Because Christ, you can only fill that space. So Lord God, we thank you. We praise you. We trust your word and believe that you will not only use it to transform our minds, but also our hearts. And as it transforms our hearts, it will transform our actions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.